if you bring a toxic client or a bad relationship into an organization, it will pollute everything because you're not living to your values. You know, if we, if we stand up and we tell folks that we've got a no jerk rule and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a roster full of them. And by the way, we're not chasing perfection. People are human. But if you're, if you're violating your values, your values don't mean anything. You know, and that's, that's the key. We've got a little purpose book. In fact, I've got one in front of me here at Loomis. And it's got all of our values and our purpose and our mission laid out in it. And I hold that up at our quarterly blueprint meetings where we kind of review all our work. But I hold that up and I say, this is our... Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Welcome, this is Leanne and you're about to listen to part one of a two-part conversation with Mike Sullivan, CEO of the Loomis Agency. You'll hear more about Mike in the actual introduction. I just wanted to set some context here at the beginning. In this first conversation, we'll hear Mike tie culture and leadership to brand success. In the next episode, Mike outlines the seven elements of culture and adds emphasis to those elements in the context of COVID-19 and its impact on workforce and culture. Mike is passionate and our conversation is energetic. I always love talking to Mike. Please enjoy. My guest today is Mike Sullivan, and there is so much that I have to say about Mike. He's the CEO of Loomis, which is a full-service challenger brand ad agency who are full in with the mantra, never underestimate the underdog, which we'll talk more about today. Loomis wins armloads of awards for their work, and they help their clients get great business results as well. Mike and his co-author, Michael Tuggle, published a book last year, The Voice of the Underdog, How Challenger Brands Create Distinction by Thinking Culture First. I'm listening to the book now, and it is filled with inspirational story after inspirational story about how challenger brands achieve success through culture, which was counterintuitive to me. And I'd also add courage. I really do love this book, Mike. Thank you so much, Leanne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, finally, and perhaps most importantly, Mike can speak from experience about culture. So you speak from which you know. In addition to being recognized for their creative work, Loomis is a multi-year award winner of various types of great places and best places to work. So congratulations on that too, Mike. That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. That's a a collective effort, of course. You know, we've just got a great team and we've worked hard on it. Yeah, I I believe it. You can feel it. And just as some context, I've done a good bit of work with leaders inside Loomis. So I also know that you walk your talk and so feel really good about our conversation today because I know that what you say isn't theoretical. 
These are things that you practice. So I want to start by asking you to define what a challenger brand is. Now, it, it makes sense once I knew, but I, I had not heard that term before I started working with you and your agency. Yeah, well, so those of us who studied marketing and advertising at school or business for that matter uh, would understand a challenger brand as just any brand that's not number one in the marketplace. You know, sort of that's sort of a classic definition. Um, but really, challenger brands are those that uh, are certainly challenged from a resource standpoint, but they're also uh, oriented towards disruption. You know, they're oriented towards uh, shaking up the marketplace, changing the rules in a way that favors them. And that's where it gets interesting and creative and fun. Yeah, it is. And as, as I was listening to the book and thinking about it more, it, it feels like because I work primarily in the men market myself, but that's many of the organizations that I work with are those challenger brands. And it really helped me as I'm considering these organizations, what they're trying to do, what they're up against, and you know, even how, as I consult with them and coach their leaders, help them be successful because of the mindset that you helped me recognize in the book. So it, it's just fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. And, and, and yeah, challenger thinking is not limited to marketing and advertising. It really needs to permeate an entire organization. I mean, people uh, within an organization need to think of and understand themselves as challengers. I, I think it was Michael Eisner, a great quote uh, when he was at Disney. He's like, as long as you think and behave as though you're coming from behind, you've got a shot at staying ahead. And, <laughs> and, and that is, I, I think that really sums it up. It's, it's not something that's just limited to you know, folks who, who uh, are traditionally constricted from a resource standpoint. It goes well beyond that. So what you're doing in the book is you're tying culture and brand, right. which like I said earlier, was counterintuitive to me. I just didn't put those two together. This is going to be really unfair of me to ask as you've written a whole book about that, uh, the tie of culture and brand, right. but why are those two linked? What, what's important there? Yeah, I mean, culture and brand, you know, brother and sister, hand in hand. So, you know, a, an example, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A, and we write about this in the book, they routinely outperform all of their QSR uh, peers by a wide margin. Uh, their, their average unit volume is something like $4 million. Uh, they're only open six days a week. Well, how do they achieve that? Well, they're so well known for uh, the way they deliver their service. And that is an endemic part of their culture. Um, I, I was listening to an interview with Truett Cathy uh, from years ago, who's now passed. And, you know, the, the interviewer asked him, he says, gosh, you know, Truett, how do you get people to say please and thank you at uh, Chick-fil-A? How do you train them to do that? And it was real simple. And folks, he said, well, we don't train them to do that. We, we hire people who already say please and thank you. It's, it's clearly not that simple. Uh, but the culture that is created inside a company like Chick-fil-A allows them to succeed in the marketplace in a way that's very different than their peers. Their employees will do things for that brand that employees at other brands simply won't do. And, and there's long lists of companies that, uh, that have that sort of benefit by virtue of the fact that they just got the right folks. And yeah. I believe it all starts there. Yeah, it reminds me, I worked with a woman um, at EDS way back in the day, uh, Marsha Clark, and she had this saying, hire the traits, train the skills. Yep. And yet, or also, you opened the book in your introduction about the mattress company. Yeah, yeah. That had a, a culture around 
sales process and training that mm-hmm. kind of in this, um, I think you call them huckster or kind of dog mm-hmm. eat dog world of yeah. mattress sales. It was their training also that helped them. So it's not just the traits, but also they had a culture around their sales process. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so in that case, he did build just a wonderful culture. And again, starting with the people. So he was very deliberate about the kind of folks that he brought into his organization. He wanted to build a different kind of mattress shopping experience, was very deliberate about that. So wouldn't hire from competitors who had what we call sort of that, the up system in sales. You know, when you walk into a store and you just feel like you're being hot boxed immediately, well, that's hard to train out of somebody once they it turns out. And so he would start with people who had no experience in the huh. and then and then invest a, a great deal of, of, of money and time in, in training them. And as a result, in doing our own research, you know, we we would go into these stores and secret shop them. And by gosh, the experience was very, very different. And as a result, his return rates on mattresses were a lot lower than his uh, category peers. We, we talked to him about, uh, geez, why don't you, you've already operationalized this excellence. Why don't you leverage it in the marketplace and disrupt with a one-year money-back guarantee? You know, and, and boy, I remember the meeting. His eyes got wide. He's an analyst. He went away for a couple of weeks to think about that. I'm sure crunched all kinds of numbers, came back and said, yeah, let's do that. And we did. And I mean, the first month out of the gate, their sales were up 30%. Uh, the second month, you know, similar, and they sustained that. The interesting thing about that is one of the competitors who's nationally known and was well known for sort of the um, opportunistic sales model tried to match that and had to reel it back in almost immediately because they were overwhelmed. Uh, They had so many returns, huh? (laughs) Right. You've got to operationalize these sorts of things. Yeah. And the way to operationalize these things is by starting, you know, with with your culture and making sure that that's right. Yeah. So um, and, and. it seems like when you talk about culture, you talk about things like purpose and values and leadership. And in fact, we're going to talk a little bit later about you and uh, Michael Tuggle defined those seven elements. So we'll we'll talk about that um, later. So that's a great that's a great tie to the brand and the culture. You're also really clear about. North Star leadership and the value or the place, the role that the leadership holds right. there. Yep. And as the CEO of Loomis, and you all yourself are a, a challenger brand. You, you so as you're vetting potential clients or you know, getting to know your new clients, I'm curious about what you look for that uh, what what clues you're looking for that tell you about your client's culture yeah. and how you're how you're going to work with what you're seeing there. So t- yeah. tell us about that a bit. Well, yeah, that's a great question, Leanne. Uh, and and so I'm I'm a big believer that especially in a professional services industry, whether you're an ad agency, an accounting firm, or who whomever, you, your culture is going to reflect in large part the company that you keep. So your clients. If you've got uh, difficult, challenging, uh, unreasonable clients, that's going to infect your culture. It's what you it's what you tolerate. So we we like to you know instead of pursuing new business. We like exploring a fit with potential prospects. So 
when we get uh, an inquiry or when we're reaching out to folks, even before we, we, we reach out to folks, we do our homework on uh, the leadership. Uh, we go out, we look at ratings and reviews. We go out and look at, you know, examples of uh, that might illustrate what kind of culture they have. We look at the senior leadership surrounding that leader. When we have an in-person meeting, there's all sorts of uh, verbal and nonverbal cues that give you a great indication as to whether or not this is something that might that's work. what I'm interested in. Like yeah, when right. you're with them, what do you yeah. see or feel and what are you paying attention to? Bottom line, what I always look for is the way they treat people and the way they treat their people, how they interact, how they engage. Do they listen? Uh, do they have an, uh, a point of view that is inflexible? Uh, are they inviting other people inside uh, their organization into the, the conversation in a way that is going to reflect well on a, a relationship we might have with them? Do their um, subordinates seem to be afraid you know, to say something about any aspect of what they're doing. And, and y- y- all these things, we pick these things up. We do. And it, we're, we've got like radar for this stuff. If you, if you step away and you feel like this is a person or these are people that I would enjoy being with and working with, you're on the right track. If you step away and you've got questions about that, it seems to me every time uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to work out. It's, it, not a relationship that's going to be productive. So it's almost those, those sort of soft human skills, you know, the connection. What is the quality of that connection that we look for first? If you've yeah, got that. I can imagine the conversations that you all have when you leave these meetings and they could serve to be really reflective about, you know, what you're noticing in yep. other leadership teams and yep. then what you know, and, and how would we stack up? You know, how, how would we rate ourselves? You know, what is this say? We're noticing this about this, uh, these things about this client. How do we perform on those yeah. same measures? And like, it, it seems like it would be a constant like bar or standard yeah. that you're holding yourself to and a reflective conversation that you just could keep alive all the time. It's really true. You know, it's, so it's easy to talk about the, the relationships that kicked off and we just want a new client. I'm, I'm so excited about First Light Home Care out of Ohio. And immediately we could just tell that they are so focused on culture that their operators or franchisees, um, you can tell right down to, to that level that they're bought in on it. Uh, it's reflected in everything that they do. That was easy for us. I've also had experiences where we had an account out of Houston that was very attractive. They wanted to work with us, uh, but it was real clear that the culture was toxic. And by toxic, I mean, they had a, you know, a command and control leader who surrounded himself with uh, sycophants, really, you know, and it just mm. is as attractive as the billing was. And it was really, it would have been easily our largest client at the time. This goes back a decade uh, we, we declined because we knew that that was going to end badly. It would, we'd wind up abusing our people. And I always think about that. You know, are these the kind of people that I want to put in relationship with our folks? Because our, fo- I think the world of our folks and, um, you know, who do you want to bring into your family, so to speak? Yeah. And that may sound real soft and, and maybe cheesy to some folks, but it's, you know, it, it's interesting. The number one word that people use to describe really uh, rich and rewarding and supportive cultures is family. I used to have a problem with that when I was younger, for whatever reason, oh, my family's at home. No, you know, you spend so much time with folks 
that they do uh, become sort of an extension of your family. And I think it's a high compliment. Yeah. And we have a choice about this family, our work family. Right. We, you know, we can't, we don't choose our family of origin, but we can choose what family that we work with. And so it's, that's really important. Before I go to this next question, which is about the culture at Loomis, I do want to say, you know, at the very beginning, I was talking about challenge your brands, you know, needing culture and courage. And what the example that you just gave, I think is such a, a great one for the courage to say no when something is not a fit and you can just look into the future past the bottom line, past the revenue and look at, you know, the ripple effect that it yep. can have on your culture. If you, if you play with clients like that, no matter how lucrative it's, like it, you would probably end with a loss. You, you can destroy a culture doing that very easily. Uh, earlier in my career, when I was too young to be running anything, but I was at 28, 29, I was the president of a, another agency. I would chase anything that moved. You know, I just thought that <laughs> the idea was get more business, grow, 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 be bigger. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fool's errand. You know, our turnover was right there at the industry average uh, in terms of clients and employees. You know, if you bring a, a toxic client or a bad relationship into an organization, it will pollute everything. Now, because you're not living to your values. You know, if we, if we stand up and we tell folks that, you know, uh, we've got a no jerk rule and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a roster full of them. And by the way, we're not, we're not chasing perfection. People are human. Yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're violating your values, your values don't mean anything, you know, and that's, that's the key. We've got a little purpose book. In fact, I've got one in front of me here at Loomis and I, it's got all of our values and our purpose and our mission laid out in it. And I hold that up at our quarterly meetings. And we have quarterly blueprint meetings where we kind of review all our work and talk to one another about what we're doing. But I hold that up and I say, this is our target. You know, we don't always hit our target, but we know when we miss it. And that's where the accountability comes in. And, and uh, I think we do a pretty good job here of, you know, responding to that, trying to stay true to those principles. You know, I think yeah. it's, just, it's critical. So you might be, you know, starting to answer my, my next question, which Again, I've been in your office a lot. I've worked with several of your leaders. I've just learned that you have half the turnover of the industry average. Yep. You win awards for your culture. So tell us a little bit about your culture. You just described part of it there. You have it documented. Yep. You refer back to it. It's not just something that you've written down and then put it on a shelf or you have it laying around in your lobby for visitors to come look at, but you're using it. So just say a little yep. bit more about what, what you're doing to keep the culture alive. Well, I'd be happy to. So, you know, our culture is informed uh, by all of our experiences and it's certainly informed by my early experiences in, in the industry and just in working life. And ultimately I decided, I just want to create the kind of place that people want to work on Monday morning. They want to come in. There's no Sunday night dread, that kind of thing. And again, it doesn't mean that it's perfect, but what it does mean is that we're, we're focused on, you know, the right things. And I, I read a book years ago by Don Clifton when he first published it, what was it called? Uh, first Break Roll, All the Rules. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he, he had a list of like 12, 11 or 12 things in there that uh, you know, people are looking for in, in their jobs. And what I did essentially was to try to get real deliberate on all those uh, sorts of things. Uh, one of them was your relationship with your direct supervisor. Well, you know, how, 
do you improve that? Well, you hire the right people to lead others. And again, it, for us, it all starts with, with recruiting. And so I think it's, at the end of the day, if you're very deliberate about that on the way in, what you wind up with is a culture that uh, performs in a way that you hadn't even imagined. So mm. we're going to, we're probably going to shift here to like an unlimited PTO uh, policy. And I have no qualms about that with my culture. You know, 10 years ago, I might've, you know, 12 years ago, 15 years, definitely would have, but it, it, it evolves and it shapes over time. But if you're deliberate and purposeful around it, you can create it. Don't know if I answered the question. I kind of got a little off track there, but. Well, that's okay. When I think of you and your culture, one of the things that's a standout for me, because I've been, you know, involved in this part of your culture and, you know, the benefactor of being able to work with some of your leaders is that you have a real culture of learning and you invest in development. And I cannot tell you how many times that I've been in conversation with um, one of the leaders there that I'm coaching. And I'll ask a question, have you heard about X? And I'll name a tool or a concept. And they'll say either, we just talked about that in our, you know, learning groups, I guess you all have um, regular. And it happens often enough that you go over the same content, whether it's like, uh, the the empowerment dynamic or right. the ladder of inference or whatever it is, yeah. it, it is ongoing. So you don't just say we've done that once, we're done. But then yeah. you're in, you're also investing quite heavily in your leader's development. Well, we definitely are, and so, so that's a great point too, Leanne. And I, I do think um, a lot of this shifted for me um, a little more than a decade ago. Uh, our, our good friend Rand Stegen, you know, I, I uh, went through his leadership uh, academy. Uh, the, the the intention there was, hey, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good advertising guy. You know, I, I know enough about marketing to make a good living. Uh, but what I have never been taught, at least explicitly explicitly is how to lead people. I think I've got good intuition. People seem to like me. It goes way beyond that. And that really opened my eyes, you know, and it really shifted my focus to become a far more deliberate leader. And so obviously I, you know, I got my partner, Julie, uh, uh, she went through the the academy and and, uh, Tina Tackett, my executive creator director and and others. And what happened as a result of that was all of those sorts of things started to show up. We were intentional about some of it. Some of it just happened organically. But in the end, we, we've created an environment that is, yes, it's a, a learning environment and, and it's a caring environment too. And it's yeah. a performance environment and it can be all those things. It requires, like I said, constant attention and balance and, and really recruiting the right people in. And listening to you just now reminded me of not just the formal learning process that you all go through, but also um, that it's okay not to know the answers. It's okay to make a mistake as long as you learn from it. You know, yeah. it's, it is that also that kind of learning environment, 100%. not yeah, not yeah. just the formal learning, but the informal yeah. learning and, and the um, kind of the requirement or the expectation to be open. Yeah. To failing and to ask questions and all of those things is also so. When I think about your culture, those are the things that I I think about. Well, I'm I'm flattered. You know, sometimes I get you know we're inside the culture, and so we don't even see all the goodness. You know, because we're always thinking about what else can we do. But that that is true, and so that that whole knower learner construct. You yes. know, am I the smartest guy in the room? Do I have to have the answer if I'm running it? Boy, that was hard for me to get over. 
You know, I mean, as, as, <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I think I've been over it for a good many years now, but I'm happy to tell my folks that I don't know. I'm happy when they see my mistakes. I'm happy to communicate them. Uh, transparency is another hallmark of our culture. And we hear that over and over. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. What I think I do well is pull the right folks together uh, and they work the magic. Um, I, I'm just uh, so humbled by the fact that I've been able to attract uh, folks like, you know, I have into this organization. We've, I don't even want to name them because there's so many recruiters. Out there calling them. <laughs> Which, by the way, I will, I will also say, so, and I sit on some peer forums and everybody's having problems with turnover right now. Knock on wood, since the beginning of the year, we've got 66 folks. We have had not one person leave. And I, I really do think that that is a testament to the culture that we built you know, we, we talk about, you know, how do you tend to your culture post-COVID? How do you get through all this right now? I think the work that many of us have done for years and years leading up to this has really sustained us through this. You know? Right. So this is where we conclude the first half of the conversation with Mike. We'll be picking up the next episode as he goes into the seven elements of culture that he writes about in his book, The Voice of the Underdog. He's also written a blog post on the elements and how to think of them as economies rebound and people start working back in the office again. As always, you can find links to Mike, his new book, articles, and more in the episode notes. Stay tuned for the second half of our conversation. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world.